0: The team here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Today, we come to the end of our journey through the book of Acts. After 28 sermons, covering most of the the 28 chapters in the book, uh, in three different sermon series over the course of the last three years, today we finally reach the end of the book. Now, the way you finish a story matters. I've never written a book, but if I did, I imagine I would think carefully about how I ended it. Because the way you finish a story tells you a lot about the story itself. Let me give you a few examples. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course. The epic saga to destroy the ring of power, it ends with Sam saying to his wife Rose, well, I'm back. It ends with Sam, uh, after all that he's gone through with Frodo, arriving safely back home because good has triumphed over evil. Uh, The Harry Potter series ends a similar way. It says, the scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All was well. And like I always say to you, if, if you haven't read it or watched the movies yet, you've had like 20 years. That's on you, not me. I don't know if it's 20 years or not. Others, other stories, end a little bit more ambiguously. For example, The, the Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. It, it tells the story of some of the horrors of World War II, and it simply ends, I was haunted by humans. Or, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Probably all of us had to read that at high school. It ends this way. For never was a story of more woe. Than this of Juliet and her Romeo. Maybe some of you just got some some painful flashbacks to high school. The way you finish a story tells you a lot about the story itself. And so, how, the question is, how does the book of Acts end? How does Luke, the author of Acts, choose to finish this story that we've been looking at for 28 weeks? Well, look at verses 30 to 31. This is what we just heard a moment ago. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. That's in the city of Rome, in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts ends with the apostle Paul under house arrest, but with the gospel going forward. It ends with Paul in chains, but the word going out. And the reason that Luke ends the book of Acts this way is because this is what the book of Acts is all about. It's about the spread of the gospel. It's about the word of God going out. I mean, do you remember how the book began? Back in whatever three years ago it was, 2020. Jesus said in in chapter one, he said, You will be my to his disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we get to the end of the book, and this is exactly what has happened. The message of Jesus has gone to the ends of the earth. The gospel has arrived in the city of Rome. Now, Rome wasn't at the ends of the earth geographically, but it was at the center of the ancient world. And so if the gospel, the message of Jesus, could make it to Rome, it wouldn't take long for it to go beyond Rome. And this is exactly what happens. And this is what we're going to look at today, Paul's arrival in Rome. What happens in Rome, and why does it matter? Now, if you haven't been around for a little while, let me just kind of catch you up on what's been happening in the last few weeks, because a lot has been happening Uh, There's this man named Paul. He was a missionary in the early church. He was God's chosen messenger to take God's message to the nations. And this is what he'd been doing. He'd been traveling around the ancient world, telling people about Jesus and getting churches started. Uh, He'd been doing this for about 10 years. And this is what had uh, taken up a lot of the book of Acts so far. But after about 10 years of doing this, Paul returns to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He goes back to where it all began. This is what we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter 21. But sadly, it doesn't go very well for the Apostle Paul. The Jews in Jerusalem aren't very happy to see him. There was this rumor going around that Paul was opposed to their Jewish customs. And this made them very angry. And when they spot Paul in the temple, the crowd gets riled up. They start to beat Paul up. They want to kill him. And so the Roman soldiers swoop in and they kind of rescue Paul, they take him into protective custody, and they want to work out what has caused all this drama between Paul and the Jewish people. And so this leads to a series of trials for the Apostle Paul. He is tried before King Felix in chapter 24, uh, sorry, the Roman governor Felix in chapter 24. Then he's tried by Felix's successor Festus in chapter 25. And then he's sent to King Agrippa in chapter 26, which is what Stephen walked us through last week. So just this series of trials that Paul has to go through. But sadly, none of them kind of resolve the issue and the Romans say to Paul, well, you know, we've had enough of this, we're just going to hand you back to the Jews and you guys sort it out. But Paul knows the Jews want to kill him. And so he says, I'd rather go to Caesar, please. He appeals to Caesar and he asks to be sent to Rome. And this is what happens in chapter 27. The apostle Paul is put on a ship with these other prisoners, and they have this long and difficult journey to Rome. It, it, there's storms, and there's shipwrecks, and there's snake bites. I mean, later today, you definitely should go home and read Acts chapter 27. Before finally, in AD 60, three years after he was arrested in Jerusalem, Paul finally arrives in Rome. And this is what we're going to be looking at today, Paul's arrival and his time in Rome. Now, like we did a couple of weeks ago, we're just going to kind of walk through the passage together. I'll explain some of the detail as we go. And then at the end, we're going to pull out some lessons for our lives today. So it'd be great to have your Bible open there in front of you at Acts 28. We're going to pick up the story in verse 15. And what we see there in verse 15 is that when Paul gets to the city of Rome, or even before he arrives in the city of Rome itself, there's this group of believers that have come out to greet him. They go to some uh, popular, well-known meeting stops along the way. The three taverns sounds like kind of a, a cool place to meet someone. And they go there and they meet the Apostle Paul. Now, obviously, there were already some Christians in Rome. There were already this group of believers in the city of Rome. Now, we don't know how the gospel arrived in Rome, but however it happened, whenever it happened, there was this Christian community in the city. And Paul was already aware that there was a Christian community in the city of Rome, because four years earlier, he had written a letter to this church community. Of course, it's the letter of Romans, which we still have in our Bible today. And so Paul knew there were the believers there, and he must have been excited to meet this group of believers from the city of Rome. And that's what we see in verse 15. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. These believers were an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Now, his circumstances hadn't changed. He's still under arrest. He's still in chains. But just meeting these believers, engaging with these believers, were an encouragement to him. And there's an important lesson here for us. It's that we need other believers in our lives. We're not meant to do life on our own. If the Apostle Paul needed others in his life, then we will need other believers in our life as well. And this isn't a bad thing, this isn't a sign of weakness, this is how God designed it. We need each other, even Paul. And he needs these believers because when he arrives in Rome, he is immediately placed under house arrest. Look at verse 16, when we got to Rome, and notice the we, many uh, scholars believe that Luke had been travelling with the Apostle Paul at this point, it says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So thankfully, Paul is not kind of thrown into prison with the general population, but he's allowed to live in a home with a soldier to guard him. And this kind of gives him a unique opportunity, he's able to have guests which means he's able to, to keep doing his job. And, and this is what he goes on to do. Paul goes on to do what he would always do in any city. See, whenever the Apostle Paul arrived in a new city, he would always begin by first going to the synagogue, the place of worship for the Jews. Now, when he's here in Rome, he can't actually go to the synagogue himself, but he can bring the synagogue to him. And this is what he does. Verse 17 Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Now, I won't kind of reread what Paul says to these Jewish leaders, but basically, he, he explains to them what happened in Jerusalem, why he's come to Rome as a prisoner and not a free man, and why he's innocent of all these charges. Now, the Jewish leaders effectively say to Paul, well, no one's really told us about any of this. We haven't got any letters. No one from Jerusalem has mentioned anything about this but we have heard a lot about this Christianity thing that you're talking about. We've heard a lot of people talking against it. And so we'd like to hear a little bit more about it. And this is what happens, verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers. There's a lot of curiosity about this Christian movement, the the way. And they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And so Paul's under arrest, but he just keeps doing what he would always do, witnessing to Jesus, sharing the gospel. Now, what exactly was he saying to these Jewish leaders? I mean, that's a Bible study that I would like to be part of. What's he saying? Well, we're told there. He's explaining to them about the kingdom of God. Paul is explaining to these Jewish leaders that Jesus was God's promised king. That Jesus came to bring God's kingdom. That Jesus came to invite us into God's kingdom. This is the good news of Christianity. That you can be part of God's kingdom by submitting to God's king, by trusting God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where, where does Paul come up with this message? How does he know that this is God's true message? Look, look at what it says. It says there that Paul was explaining all of this from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now, this is just a shorthand way of describing the Old Testament. You know, the first half of the Bible, which was written before Jesus came. Paul is saying that Jesus did not just appear out of nowhere, did not just suddenly appear as this miracle worker, an amazing teacher. No, Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises and the pictures and the prophecies of the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament was pointing to him. It's about him. This is what Paul is explaining to these Jewish leaders. Now, why is Paul explaining all of this? What is his goal in this you know, day-long Bible study? Well, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. The point of sharing the gospel with others is that they would be persuaded about Jesus, that they would put their trust in Jesus. And this is not narrow or arrogant, or exclusive, because if Jesus really is who he claimed to be, if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, then it's loving to try to persuade others, to want more people to come to Jesus. And this is Paul's goal, this is what he's doing with these Jewish leaders, but the question is, well, how did it go? Were they persuaded? Look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, some believed, some put their trust in Jesus, but others would not believe. This is the response we've seen right throughout the book of Acts, and this is the response we still see to this day. Some people believe in Jesus, others do not. Now, I've got to admit, it does give me some kind of slight perverse encouragement that not even the great Apostle Paul had a 100% strike rate. In fact, Paul even had some people walk out of his Bible study. Towards the end of the day, maybe they're getting a bit tired and hungry and grumpy, but but Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 9, this Old Testament book, and it leaves some people to walk out of the house, to leave the Bible study. Now what was the big deal? What's so offensive about this chapter? Well in this passage from the Old Testament, God said to the prophet Isaiah, you know, right at the beginning of his ministry, When you go to preach to the people of Israel, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to ignore you. It will have no effect on them. How's that for an encouraging call to ministry? Now, when Paul quotes this passage here to these Jewish leaders, he's essentially saying to them, you're just like your ancestors. You're not listening to God. You've hardened your heart to God. You're ignoring God. You're ignoring the message about God's true king, the Lord Jesus. And this leads Paul to say to them in verse 28, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, non-Jews, the nations, and they will listen. Paul's saying to these Jews, if you won't listen, the rest of the world will. The other nations will. And I love that word, will. And they will listen. It's a certainty. People will listen. People will respond to the message of Jesus. And can we not look back over 2,000 years of history and see this promise has been fulfilled? Billions of people across the globe, throughout history, have listened to the message of Jesus. And as we go forward in our mission as a church to help more people find life in Jesus, we can go forward in certainty. We're not kind of just doing this hoping that some people will listen. We know that they will. And so we're going to keep going. We're going to press on. We're going to keep sharing because they will listen. And with this confident pronouncement, Luke comes to the end of the book. And he writes in those final two verses, which we've looked at, Paul there, under house arrest for two years, uh, welcoming people who come to him, sharing the message of Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And and, and the curtains kind of close on the book of Acts. Now, at one level, this is a really great ending to the book. You know, it ends with the, the word going forward... But at another level, it's a slightly strange ending. I mean, it ends kind of abruptly, doesn't it? I mean, we've been following the Apostle Paul's journey for almost 20 chapters. We've been watching him preach and teach and plant churches. We've seen him get arrested and be tried and now sent to Rome, and we're kind of waiting to hear what happens next. What happens to Paul? Well, does he actually stand before Caesar? Is he set free? Is he found guilty? Is he put to death? We don't know. We're not told. Now, now why would Luke end the book this way? Because Acts is not about Paul. Acts is about Jesus. Acts is about the the spread of God's Word. And, And this is why the book ends the way it does, with Paul under arrest, but the gospel going forward. With Paul in chains, but the word going out. Because this is what the whole book of Acts has been about. Now, the question is what do we learn from this? How can we kind of apply this to our lives? Three lessons that I just want to point out briefly. The first, if you've taken notes, is this the ways of God are inscrutable. The ways of God are inscrutable. Now, I use the word inscrutable on purpose. I know it's not a word that we use very often, but it's a word that the Bible uses. It means unsearchable, untraceable, unfathomable. It's the word that Paul uses in Romans 11 when he talks about the ways of God. He says there, the verses on the screen, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. How unsearchable, untraceable, unfathomable. Now, just think about what has happened to the Apostle Paul in these last few chapters of the book of Acts. God had made it very clear to him that he wanted him to go to Rome. In fact, Jesus said, you must testify in Rome. Now, stay with me. You would think that if God wanted Paul to go to Rome, if it was God's will for the Apostle Paul to go to Rome you'd think God would make it easy for him to get there. You'd think that God would open the doors for him to get there. I mean, isn't this the way that we talk about the will of God? Yeah, God opened the doors for me. God gave me a a real peace about it. What happened to the Apostle Paul? Just about everything went wrong. He was falsely accused. He is almost beaten up, beaten to death by the crowds. He is imprisoned. He's shipwrecked. He's bitten by a snake. He's delayed for three months. And when he finally arrives in Rome, he arrives as a prisoner in chains and is immediately placed under house arrest. Just about everything goes wrong for Paul. It almost seems like God doesn't want him to get to Rome, like God's trying to stop him from getting there. What's the point? The ways of God are inscrutable. You won't always understand why God does what he does. Why things happen the way that they do. Why things work out the way that they do. You might even prefer things to work out differently. I'm sure when the Apostle Paul was floating in the Mediterranean Sea, he thought to himself, Lord... I would have preferred a different route. I would have preferred one with a little less thunder and lightning and definitely no swimming in shark-infested waters. You won't always understand why God does what He does. And incidentally, this is probably why God doesn't always give us all the details why he doesn't give us a, a play-by-play of how our life is going to work out, because if he did, we probably wouldn't leave our rooms. The will of God will not always be smooth sailing. You need to understand that. It's not always going to be open doors and peaceful, loving feelings. It might be prison and shipwrecks and snake bites. And don't assume that difficulty in your life means that God is opposed to you. That God has abandoned you. That God is telling you to to give up. Just think about Jesus. The will of God for Jesus, the Son of God, was the cross. It wasn't to avoid suffering. It wasn't to go around suffering. It was to go towards it. It was to go through it. And if this was true for the Son of God, why would we think it would be different for us? Now, lest you do go and lock yourself in your room, the good news of Christianity is that suffering will not have the final say in your life. That difficulty will not determine your ultimate destiny. It didn't for the Lord Jesus. He was raised three days later. And it won't for us. We too will be raised like Jesus. And this gives us courage to follow Jesus wherever he leads. This is why I love the the third verse of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. And so if I was to amend my original point uh, lesson slightly, I'd say the ways of God are inscrutable, untraceable, but the grace of God is unshakable, unending, unstoppable. This is the first lesson. The ways of God are inscrutable. The second is this. The Word of God is unstoppable. Unstoppable. Now, I won't spend long on this because we've talked about this before, but this is really the main lesson of the book of Acts, that the Word of God cannot be stopped. This is why the book ends with the Word going out with all boldness and without hindrance. And by ending the book this way, it's almost as if Luke is saying, think about everything that has happened so far in this book. Everything that's been thrown at the church, all of the opposition, the people thrown into prison, the people put to death, Despite everything that ha- that's happened, what's, what's happened? The gospel has gone forward. The word has spread. Because you can kill people, you can throw people into prison, but you cannot kill the gospel. You cannot stop the gospel. Charles Wesley was a minister and a hymn writer in the 1700s, the brother of John Wesley. He said, listen to this, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. We might say, God buries his messengers, but not his message. The message goes forward. You know, there's this great scene in uh, Jurassic Park, the movie. Uh, John Hammond is is the creator of Jurassic Park, the theme park where they've uh, cloned dinosaurs. And he brings all of these world-class scientists together to to kind of try and impress them with what he's achieved. And he says to them, these these scientists, he says, we're going to have perfect control they can't breed because we've cloned only female dinosaurs we have complete control of the population and Dr Malcolm played by Jeff Goldblum he is completely unimpressed he says to Dr Hammond's John the kind of control you are attempting simply is not possible life will not be contained Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously. One of the, the Jurassic Park scientists is incredulous and, and says to, to Dr. Uh, Dr. What's his name? Malcolm. He says, Are you implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? And Jeff Goldblum looks at him and says, and if you've seen the movie, you know the line, he says, No. I'm simply saying, life finds a way. Now, this is the message of Acts. Just slip the, gospel, the word gospel in there. The gospel finds a way. The word of God is alive and it cannot be stopped. It breaks through barriers. You can kill its preachers. You can make it illegal. You can put Christians in prison. You can put up all kinds of barriers. It doesn't matter. The gospel will find a way. And this leads us to our third and final lesson. The ways of God are inscrutable, the Word of God is unstoppable, and thirdly, the work of God is ongoing. Now, why does Luke leave the book of Acts unresolved? Why doesn't he just tell us what happens to Paul? He spent, you know, eight chapters telling us about his arrests and his shipwrecks and his trials, and why not just tell us how it all ends? Why does he leave us hanging? Well, the book of Acts is left unresolved because the story of Acts is unfinished. The ending of Acts is left open because the mission of Acts is ongoing. Here's the way one pastor put it. He said, Rome was the last stop in the book of Acts, but not the full stop in the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus continues to this day. The story continues to be written Today, the gospel continues to go forward. The word continues to spread. The church continues to grow. And and friends, we are caught up in it. We are part of it, all of us. And, and, And so as we land this sermon and as we land our time in Acts, let me ask you this question. What about you? Will you simply read the story of Acts Or will you be involved in the story of Acts? Will you simply listen to the message of Jesus for yourself? Or will you share the message of Jesus with others? Will you be a witness to Jesus in a world that so desperately needs him? This is the invitation. This is the opportunity. This is our time. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses to Jesus in our day. We are a part of the ways, one of the main ways in which God works in the world. God's people, empowered by God's Spirit, sharing the good news of God's grace, which is available to all in God's Son. So what about you? Are you part of the story? Have you responded to the, the good news of God's grace in Jesus? The offer's on the table for you. Will you listen? And if today you want to put your trust in Jesus, you want to repent of your sin, which means turning from a a, a life ruled by yourself to a life under the gracious rule of God, and you want to receive what Christ has done for you, then I want you to pray with me in just a moment. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I want you to pray along with me in your heart, and then after the service, I want you to tell someone, tell your friend, tell a family member, tell me, tell one of the team. The Bible says in Romans 10, it says, "If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that though we were far from you, you came near to us and you brought us near into your family through what you've done for us in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us here this morning that want to put our trust in Jesus for the first time. I invite you to to pray along with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever believed. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. I thank you for paying my debt, bearing my punishment, and offering forgiveness. I turn from my sin and receive you as Savior. Amen.